Peace to you. And thank you for joining me for another Saturday night episode of The Naked Truth, where we check out the gospel of Jesus Christ, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. We're going to begin with chapter Luke, oh, sorry, book of Luke chapter 14 at verse 1, if you want to read it along with me. So, now it happened as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. So the Hebrew talking about is Jesus, Pharisees are the religious leaders, and the Sabbath is the uh, day of rest that's supposed to not do any work. It's required you do no work according to some uh, interpretations of the scriptures in the Old Testament. We went over those before in other readings. Um, and they're watching Jesus, and they're not watching him to see, uh, because they're fans of his. They're watching him because they're gonna, the same people end up who are going to end up being behind um, a large part of the crucifixion. Verse 2, And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. So there is someone present there who's sick um, uh, among in the crowd. And since I don't know what dropsy is, uh, I've forgotten, I'm going to look it up. So hold on one second. Let's see. Looks like dropsy is old-fashioned or less technical term for edema. Edema, I do know what that is. That's basically where your body retains fluids. Um, so um, it usually shows up in the form of looking like swelling that people have on their legs and stuff. Um, so that's someone who's present with that. Let's see. Verse 3. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and said, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So Jesus is asking the religious leaders, is that right? Is it law, law is it right by their by their laws, the ones they go around enforcing but are um immune to, is it right by their laws to heal someone on the Sabbath? Presumably the person there with the edema with dropsy. Um usually also dropsy can be caused by lots of things. Um the bottom line of it is in many cases is salt. Uh, retaining water in your body, but it could be other things too, um, like other underlying sicknesses, and that can just be the the um, apparent symptom of it. Um, but that's not clear, but that is what he's got. And Jesus is asking, is it okay to help the man on the Sabbath? Since again, you're not supposed to do any work, anything at all on the Sabbath, according to some interpretations of the Old Testament, as we call it, rule. Verse 4, but they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and let him go. So rather than engage Jesus with his question, the religious people didn't say anything. They just stood right there and held their peace. Verse 5, and so um, Jesus responded to that by going ahead and helping the man. He healed the man and let him go. So now it's up to them to react to that because remember, they have a law. Verse 5, then he answered them saying, which of you having a donkey or an ox? that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day. So Jesus is saying, if you have a, a livestock or a pet, and it falls into a pit on that day of rest, wouldn't you reach out and help it? Or would you just say, oh, you're going to have to wait till tomorrow, Scruffy. Yeah, wait till the Sabbath is passed. No, you're going to help your pet, your livestock, your um, your pet, your beloved animal, your four-legged friend, if you can, as soon as possible. So shouldn't you have at least that standard for your fellow human being? 
Um, let's see. Verse, uh, but they um, had nothing to say about that. They just kept silent. Verse 5, and they could not answer him regarding these things. So they refused to um, uh, let their um, religious belief system interfere or they know in their hearts is uh, the right thing and the human thing, the humane thing to do. Um, let's see. Verse 7. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them. So now the narrator here, because this is a red letter, verse 7, is letting us know what's happening next. And it's saying that Jesus is taking notice of people's behavior and how people, as they, human nature, found the best place they could to sit down for the feast. Verse 8, when and so now Jesus is teaching us. Verse 10, verse 8. When you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down at the best in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. So Jesus is saying, if you get invited to the party, don't go looking for the best seat you can find when you get there. Instead, look, let um, well, he's gonna tell us verse 9. Um, well, he's saying, don't do that. Don't clout chase as far as the best seat in the house um, because somebody else who's even closer to the host or even more honored, an even more honored guest may show up um, after you get there. And then um, verse nine, and he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the Lord's place. So don't go look for that best seat in the house because it may turn out that the host grandma shows up after you or lover, husband, child, um, hero, the honored guest to the party shows up after you and that seat was actually intended for them. And then you have to get up and move in front of everybody while they're watching you. Jesus is saying, don't do that. That's not the way to do it. That cloud chasing is a no-no. Verse, it'll only end up embarrassing you. Verse 10, but when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will be give, then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. So Jesus is saying, instead, humble yourself. Instead of cloud chasing, humble yourself. When you get to the party you were uh, graciously invited to, just find a nice spot for yourself. Don't go trying to find the best seat in the house. And then when you find a comfortable spot for yourself or a decent place in the picture of things, that's not haughty, um, then it may turn out when the host who invited you in the first place, who's throwing the party, sees you uh, in that humble position, will see you and esteem you more worthy of something higher and ask you to know, move closer to the party, move closer to the front, get to that best seat in the house. Uh, let someone else be the one to give you that glory instead of glorifying yourself. Verse 11, for whoever exalts himself will be humble, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So um, Jesus is teaching us that if you do cloud chase to try to be that um, that, that one, that star of the show, that head honcho, uh, you're going to end up getting humbled. So instead of getting to humility that way, how about we take the lowly path, take the humble path in the first place, and then leave it to the Lord, the host of the party, to exalt us and raise us up higher.
verse 11, for whoever is up, sorry, read down in verse 12, then he also said to him, who invited him, when you give a generous suffering, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. So Jesus has told the guests who've made it to the party what's the proper thing, the proper etiquette in righteous sense of how to approach the party. Now Jesus is addressing the people who are throwing the party here on earth, addressing the people who have the means to um, throw that party and invite people or keep people off the list. list. He's telling those people that what they should do in their part, whereas the guests should seek humility and when they're um, when they get there and in their seating, in their place in the picture, what the host should do, the one who has the means should do, is do all they can to also humble themselves and reach out to those who aren't on the same level and lift them up also. The poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, the people who are out, the outcasts, well, it's going to get in that verse 13, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. What is he saying? Reach outside of your own uh, inner circle of what you uh, experience daily and spread that those means to people who aren't on the same level as you that they can rise to. Um, in that way, humbling themselves, the people uh, who the hosts of the party, the people who at the top, um, verse the ones who are able to give the party. Verse 14, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So Jesus is saying the repayment of the rich man, basically, of the person who has the means is when they share their means and ability and their ease in life with those who aren't as comfortable as they are, then the reward they can get in their righteous part can be, uh, besides what Jesus has told us before when a rich person approached him, uh, to sell all, sell what he has and give to the poor and provide himself with treasure in heaven and come follow me. That's what Jesus said directly, paraphrasing to someone who was wealthy who approached him, letting us know it's not impossible for a rich person to find salvation, but Jesus lets us know what the rich person's uh, steps of salvation will include, and that's loosing that um, the grip on the love and dependence on that wealth opening doors for him or her, and instead having to also exercise faith, just like the poor and needy have to do, the main, the lame, the blind, and the, the others that Jesus lists here. He's saying there's something for both. I believe what Jesus is teaching, he's letting us know there's something for both parties to have to do to have that righteousness, whether you're the invited guest or the one with the means throwing the party and drawing up the list. Um, and letting us also know there's a resurrection. Um, there's a resurrection of the just, um, meaning pointing to, I believe, alluding to hereafter, the, uh, the hope of a life after this one. Verse 13, but when you give a feast, invite, oh, sorry, missed that one, keeping that one in. Um, verse 15, now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. So someone is so moved by what Jesus is teaching and saying that he's speaking up now and uh, saying, basically saying, God bless those who make it to heaven. Now, remember what we read uh, probably a couple of few chapters back 
when some woman spoke up when Jesus was teaching and said, blessed is the womb that carried you and the breast which nursed you. Basically saying, God bless Mary, whether she knew Mary or not. Mary, as we know her, or, you know, Jesus' mother Mary. Um, she thought that that was her way of exalting and uh, giving praise, you know, saying, God bless Mary, uh, you know, for those things she did for him. But Jesus answered her and said, more than that, blessed are those, more than even his own mama. More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and do it and keep it. Jesus is, um, that's how Jesus, again, paraphrasing, answered the last person who spoke up with what they believed was a super righteous thing that deserves praise when Jesus is doing his preaching. So how does Jesus respond to this woman and what she said about the kingdom of God? Verse 16, then he said to, I'm sorry, he, what he said, um, verse 16, then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. So now it was a man, a man who called out about, uh, God bless you, the people who make it to heaven, again, paraphrasing. And now Jesus is letting us know, answering what the man said uh, about the kingdom of God with, um, not necessarily a parable and because he didn't identify it as a parable. He's saying a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. So this may, uh, may or may not have actually happened. But he's talking about the time, a time when a man threw a party. Verse 17, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who are invited, come for all things are now ready. So he's throwing a party, he's sending out his servants. So he's got money. And um, he's throwing a party, sending out his service and letting the people who were invited know that the party is ready, the time is now. Verse 18, but they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. Ask you to have me excused. So the pe people who were invited to the party aren't all that anxious to get there. They've got other things they rather focus on. At least this first one does, says he's purchased some land. And he has to go check on that. So he's like, he'll pass on the party. Verse 19, another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. Ask you to have me excused. So now the next one, they said he's got other business he has to tend to. Many, many, many cows that he's purchasing. We know how people value the cows. They make golden cow statues again and again throughout the scriptures to worship as God. So imagine you have an actual living one that can... Uh, give you beef, give you milk, give you cheese, give you butter. Um, that's their gods. I mean, not just them, but, you know, different civilizations consider the cows God. So this person here is saying he's got five yoke of them. And I forget how many a yoke is. I know a yoke is, um, actually, maybe just be talking about the yoke as in the, the actual instrument, not a numerical um, amount. Um, but he's got five of them, of oxes. And um, he says he's got to go test them. He's got to go tend to his livestock. So he's not going to come to the party either. Verse 20, but still, still another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now the next person was invited had an excuse too. And now they're newlywed and they ain't coming to the party either. Imagine how that must make you feel if you're throwing a party and everybody invited is like, yeah, man, I'm not going to make it. Verse 21. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Uh, then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city 
and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. So the party host is not pleased with the fact that he's being rejected. So he's sending out his servants on another mission. So instead of inviting the people who were on the original list to the party, sending them out now to, to those same people Jesus listed off earlier. Remember about when he told us the poor and the main, the lame and the blind, the outcasts, the marginalized, modern day equivalent would be trans people, black people, poor people, immigrants, foreigners, uh, non-religious people, all of those people would be the marginalized by the modern mainstream society. Jesus is saying, go pick them up, invite them, the people who uh, see if they want to come to the party. Verse 22, and the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there's room. Wow, so that sort of catches us up to modern times where even now people are realizing that uh, mainstream, I'm sorry, organized religion is organized criminality in many, many cases, whether it's the child sex stuff or the history of its contribution to the slave trade or the way it works with politics now in maintaining the injustice system, let's we'll call it that. And not just here in America, but all around the world. As people are realizing that people are turning away from even being interested in it. So that's where we are at this point. First, the people who were invited weren't interested in coming. Now the marginalized people who are on the uh, outskirts of things, they know about it too, but they're not interested either. Verse 23, then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. So now the person throwing the party is, seems to be getting frustrated, sending the servants out a third time now to say, go out there and get some people to come to my party. And he's saying, go search the crevices if you have to, but get them in here. So now in the, if you, if we overlay this big picture of things, it would be now we've had people who were, um, who were the original invited people to the party, to salvation, to make it to the party, rejected it. The people who weren't so interested, weren't so accepted, now also being invited, but now also not interested in the party. So now the last resorts are the people who are at the bottom of the barrel. Myself, that's who's now being invited to come from the highways and hedges and make it to the party so that the party thrower can have their house full. Verse 24, for I say to you that none of those men who are invited shall taste my supper. So Jesus didn't say this was a parable. So maybe it's a historical event. Maybe if it's not, maybe it's Jesus's way of letting us know like he does in the parables. That that's how what we think of as judgment day will be. That the people who were invited in the first place, since they weren't interested in coming, won't make it. The people who were left out of the mainstream of things uh, will be the ones who, after they um, were invited to the party, did make it. And were just among the few, the narrow path, as Jesus calls it, who um, make it to the party and don't get um, unrecognized in that moment of truth, that day of judgment. Let's see. Um, verse 25. Now great multitudes meet and went with him. And he turned and said to them. So now Jesus is on the move. And he's got huge crowds of people following him. 
But as they're following him, he's feeding them, feeding them not just with food and miracles of fish and loaves, but with the gospel, with these red letters, with the words. Now he's turning around with some more. Verse 25, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, mother, brothers and sisters. Let me start again. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So Jesus is saying, um, he uses the word hate here. And, and there's a lots of, um, there's some preachers out there who change that word to love less, as if that's what it actually says. That's not what it says. It says hate. And if it does say love less in some um, translation that they like to refer to, then it doesn't mean two words love less. It means one word loveless, like you're without love, just like you might be um, brainless or um, senseless. It's it's that's if if it even says that. But in the trade, we can use the um, the um, resources here that we uh, use on the Blue Letter Bible org website and see that's not what it says at all it says loveless now i suppose let's just check just for um giggles let's see what the king james version says instead of the new king james version let's see because maybe in that way it'll change because sometimes translations will do that and i meant to start doing that um um Whenever there's some sort of confusion with these, um, uh, as we read, so let's see. So let's just do the King James version, um, and it still says hate. So people will just lie to us to change. So anyway, so Jesus is saying, I believe what he's saying there is that he, uh, our love for God, our seeking for Christ, our our relationship with salvation, and the state of trajectory of our soul has to be our number one concern above parents, above siblings, above offspring has to be our primary focus. Now, most churches will say, no, 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 family is what's most important to the, to the Lord. But we see again and again throughout scripture, family wasn't the most important thing uh, again and again since Genesis, uh, whether it's the Cain and Abel uh, episode or uh or others, we've seen again and again, uh, Jacob and his brother Esau, we've seen again and again that the family relationship isn't held out as the primary thing that people are to be focused on uh, throughout the Bible, and that's in the Old Testament. But even in, with Jesus, um, Jesus lets us know again and again, my mother and my brother said these are the word of God and do it, that that's what um, uh, constitutes family. In the eyes of God, for we as Christians, and that's from Christ's own mouth. So um, Jesus is letting us know, I believe, that that's what has to be number one for us also. Um, our pursuit of righteousness in God's eyes and using these red letters as our guide to that righteousness, to what God sees as what's righteous, not what people may think of as righteous or what we may believe personally is what's righteous. Verse 27, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So in bearing the cross, I think Jesus is saying, taking up these red letters, the Christian uh, mission, the gospel, that um, that's, the, that's the cross. Because it's not necessarily what we think 
is uh, what we can be inclined to do, especially things like forgiving people seven times, 70 times, or turning the other cheek, and many other different things, or even um, other things that are we are completely okay with, but they are contrary to popular opinion, especially among religion, whether it be about divorce or suicide or homosexuality or transgenderism, as they call it, being transgender, um, all very different than what the Bible actually says, all very different than what Christ actually teaches us, and yet all very unpopular compared to the mainstream opinion of what people think the Bible says and what people say Jesus has said. But in, especially in Jesus, in putting words on Jesus when they're not actually things Jesus said, um, it seems to me is, a, as, is as close akin to uh, committing the unpardonable sin, speaking against the Holy Spirit, blaspheming, because if you're saying something contrary to what the Holy Spirit, which if you're a believer, believers believe that it's the disciples um, inspired by, reminded by, induced by the Holy Spirit to speak the words that ended up as these gospel, as the gospel record of what Jesus had to say, these red letters. So if you change what the red letters, specifically the red letters are, then um, the red letters that were inspired by the Holy Spirit, if you change those words and their meanings and then turn around and even worse, turn around and preach that, seems to me that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That's speaking a word and saying something contrary to what the Holy Spirit actually had to say. And then teaching people to do that is 10 times worse or, you know, exponentially worse, probably even 10, more than 10 times worse um, because you're misleading people. And um, Jesus warns about us about both of those. Um, so it seems to me that's what the commission of the unpardonable sin actually is. Nothing about being delivered up to or nothing about an antichrist or a rapture. Those words aren't even in the Bible. They're English words, but they're, they're, they're not even in the Bible. Um, and they're absolutely not red letters. Yet, again, very popular in religion. Um, but Jesus is saying, if you don't do that, you're not his disciple, plain and simple. If you don't put him first, if you don't put the state of our relationship with Christ, with God through Christ first, if we choose to put our kids, our family, our uh, parents, our spouse, our whatever pursuit in life before that, free to do that. You have a free will choice to do that. God's watching to see if that's what you're going to do. Um, but when in doing that, uh, you're not going to make it. Uh, you won't be his disciple. Verse 28. Which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? So Jesus is saying, even if you're like a builder, then don't you first, before you even start to uh, lay the foundation, start to add up the cost of what it's going to take to bring the uh, project to completion. Uh, verse 29, lest after he's laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. So um, Jesus is using the um, analogy or even the example of that is said of a builder um, doing that um, and waiting to, um, to eat before you even lay the foundation to count the cost. Because if you don't, if you lay the foundation first, 
you might not have enough to finish the whole project. And when you can't finish the project, it's going to be obvious to everyone. And um, they're going to mock you. It's going to be a laughing stock. stock. So, but the same thing can be said in lots of different things, uh, whether you're going to bake a cake or make a meal. And why would you start the meal, start a pot roast, if you don't have all the ingredients? Or would you start to bake a cake if you don't have the butter or the eggs or whatever it is you're using? Why would you start the recipe if you don't have the ingredients? Why would you start creating an outfit if you don't have the fabric? Why would you start the project if you don't have what it takes to finish it? Jesus is saying the same thing goes with um, with uh, our faith. Let's see. In verse 30, saying that this man began to build and was not able to finish it. You see laughing? People are going to be talking about you saying you look ridiculous because you started the project, but you weren't able to finish it. Verse 31, I would have came going to make war against him. And the king does not sit out first and consider whether he, whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. So Jesus is saying, even if you're even if you're on the level of someone who he plays war games, sending people to their death for whatever cause it is, usually money or resources or religion that people like to play war games. Even if you're that kind of person, if you're on that level, you're not going to go pick a fight with somebody who's going to be able to whoop you. Um, verse 32, or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So if you realize that the person, your opponent, is stronger than you are, you're going to realize that before you go march into battle. If you've only got 10,000 and your opponent has 20,000, you're going to consider carefully if your soldiers are going to be able to pull that off. And if you realize they aren't, then what you're going to do is um, send a delegation and try and call it all off and look for some um, peace treaty between you. Verse 33, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So Jesus is saying, so in the same way, um, if you see, if you sit down first and count the cost, if you sit down first and plan the war, if you sit down first and uh, consider what it's going to take to get where it is that you're trying to get to and consider what it's going to take to get to heaven, bearing that cross, following these red letters. Um, if you consider, if you don't consider that first, then you're going to start down that path and not be able to finish. And it's going to be obvious to people, or you're going to, um, uh, just like with the war, you're going to run into trouble and end up defeated because you're facing power stronger than you are. So Jesus is saying, you better think, just like Aretha Franklin said, think it through and consider, count the costs first before you take that first step down that path that you're headed. Verse 34, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? So Jesus is saying, salt is good as in, like even, like I was just saying, recipes, if you're cooking anything, so even just a little bit of salt will generally help. I know a lot of people prefer bland flavors or they're just not used to using spices. Um, but you'll be surprised with just a tiny bit of salt. And it doesn't take much. We'll do to season things and help things be a lot more palatable. But not just savory foods, sweet foods even. It brings out the flavors. Um, 
have to be careful with it, of course. If you have blood pressure, is another thing, like that dropsy, the edema. Um, but in general, Jesus is letting us know salt is good, and I have to agree. I just have to be careful with it, with my salt. Uh, verse 35, it is neat. Uh, but he's saying, but if that salt has lost its seasoning, seasoning, how shall it be seasoned? So the salt is good for what it does. It does good at adding flavor to the dish. He's saying, but if it's not able to do that, then what is it good for? How will you be able to restore it? How? What can you do to make your salt salty again? Um, in verse 35, it is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill. The men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what Jesus is saying there, if the salt isn't able to make the dish tasty anymore, um, what's it good for? It's going to be tossed to the side. It's going to be kicked to the curb. Similarly, what Jesus is saying, I believe, for us to take notice of as an analogy is our righteousness and our efforts in being righteous that uh, if we're not even going to be useful for that, which is the point of taking up our cross and following Christ, then what are we, um, what's the point of us um, being included in the recipe? We're going to be left out, kicked to that curb, left uh, put aside and not make it. You're not going to make it to the party. And that's the whole um, idea, the goal of the thing, the goal of the Christ our Christian walk, to choose the path that leads us up high, not down low. That was the last verse. So that's the end of this reading. Thank you again for joining me. Appreciate it. I love you. And I'll see you next time. Peace be with you.